Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning. One of the things that's um, true about me is that I'm a little bit of a history nerd. I love history. I love reading what happened in previous nations and leaders, and I love studying uh, things that we can learn from wars and and all those things that happened. And uh, one of the things that captures my attention is stuff that went around World World War II, where the world united, these allies united in a way to come against um, this aggression and hatred and atrocities and to put an end to it. And everybody sort of laid down all of their thoughts and they came together uh, and sacrificed with sacrifices that you and I probably can't even imagine. We can't even relate the scale of sacrifice that went on in that era. In 1944, on June the 6th, there was an invasion of Europe, and it was one of these big moments that turned the tide of World War II, and uh, the soldiers came onto um, to the beaches in Normandy in these things called um, Higgins boats, and they were these landing craft, and they were all piled into these things, and they would come off of the ships, off of the shore, and they would motor in on these Higgins boats, and they would kind of let the door down, and then they would rush out out of these Higgins boats and enter the battle. And coming at them were all of these embedded German troops and machine guns that had been trained way before the Allies arrived. The Germans had trained their guns. They had practiced where the guns were going to aim and and where the the rounds were going to land. And they had had figured out all the distances and and all that. So they were so ready and there was so much uh, carnage going on in that beach. Incredible sacrifice, incredible bravery. But a but a powerful battle, really for good and evil, going on in the beaches of Normandy, Utah, Sword, Juno Beach, all of these places. But one of the things that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of is, is that right before these soldiers were, were put into the boats, they were loaded up with all sorts of equipment. Days and days and days worth of equipment. Extra food, extra ammunition. They were given a hat and a jacket and a shovel and all sorts of things. And a lot of them had to carry machine gun rounds for the machine gunners. And even though they weren't a machine gunner, they had to carry extra belts of ammunition for the machine guns. And some of them had to carry extra mortars for the, for the mortar groups and all that. Even though they weren't part of those groups, they had to carry some of that ammunition. And, and plus their own gear, plus their own body weight, plus their own satchel and pack, and then plus their own weapon. And some of those people, when, they, when the Higgins boat came up to the shore and it was almost time for the drawer, door to come down, the sound of those machine gun rounds was hitting the front of that door. And some of those leaders in those boats wisely said, if we walk out the front of the door, we're just going to get mowed down. So over the sides, some of you, over the sides, we're, we're here in just five or six feet of water. We're just going to get over the sides right now and then swim the last few feet up to the beach and then we'll be in the battle. And the tragedy happened that a lot of soldiers climbed over the sides of the Higgins boat and they were so weighed down with equipment, they sank to the bottom and drowned and never even entered the battle. Last week, we were in Colossians chapter 2, and today we're going to walk into a new chapter of that today. But we finished last Sunday with this realization that being a religious person cannot save you, and being a religious person cannot change you. Being a religious person cannot help you in your battle against sin, in your battle to be a God-honoring man, to be a God-honoring woman, to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Your religious routines cannot change you. And the end of chapter two said, those things, trying to obey these laws and these rituals, all of those things, they have no power to restrain sensual indulgence. And so we left a little bit of a cliffhanger last week. Well, what in the world does help? We have to talk about how to defeat sin in our lives because it is robbing us of the joy of the Lord. 
We have to defeat sin in our lives because it is robbing us of this welcome into the presence of Jesus. My goodness, didn't you love that song we just sang? I love how beautiful that song is, but unfortunately there are some of us who are in the grip of sin and we're in this struggle, this this wrestling with sin, and it is eating our lunch so much that we've begun to believe we're not welcome in the arms of Jesus right now. And that's false. Our God is rich in love and bottomless in mercy. And we need to defeat sin because it's lying to us that we're not welcome in the arms of our Savior. We need to defeat sin. And this is why I tell you the story about the invasion of Normandy is because some of you are not even in the battle. You're not even on the mission of leading other people to know Jesus and raising them up as disciples so they can lead other people to know Jesus. Some of you are not even in the battle. You're not even in the battle of glorifying Christ and making his name famous in your school, in your workplace, in your city. Some of you are not even in the battle because you are drowning underneath your own indulgence. Sin is weighing you down. You're not running the race, you're not in the battle, it's eating your lunch. And some of you are miserable because you live in this cycle. I talked about this cycle last week. Let's bring this up on the screen just for a moment. This, this is life for a lot of us in a lot of different areas. There's this temptation and this offer that's made, this invitation to compromise, to go towards something that's not good for us, that God has said there's no life there. Um, and there's this negotiation that happens, and we think, I shouldn't, and I, I know this is not right, I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't. Well, then there's negotiation, and Satan lies to us and says, nobody will know, it'll feel good, you deserve it. Uh, my gosh, you know, just go for it. Why are you worried about it? Then there's indulgence, and you cave. And you give in. And like clockwork, there's regret and shame. And then that leaves an emptiness. And then you're looking for something to fill the emptiness. And you're right back in the cycle. And I am praying for you this morning. I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying for you even before we started the gathering this morning. That for some of you that hope would rise in your heart today that the God of the universe can defeat the sin that's eating your lunch these days. And hope needs to rise about the defeat of sin and the power of Christ Jesus. Hope needs to rise because some of you have been dealing with the same sins for a few months, a few years, some of us in the room, a couple of decades. And you've lost hope. You've just acquiesced. You've just said, well, I guess this is just a sin I'm always going to be weak in. This is just an area I'm never going to have any victory in. You've just given up hope. And I want to say this, Jesus Christ gave his life and he died on the cross and rose from the grave and sin has been defeated. And it has a loud growl, but it is a toothless monster. And we should not fear it. And we should not believe that it is more powerful than it is. There is no sin that you wrestle with that is bigger than God's ability to put it away. Let that hope arise in here this morning. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Join me, if you will, in verse 1. We're going to read 14 verses together. And then I'm going to come back and give you five ways that you and I can break this cycle, ways that we can deal with these sin defeats so that we can get in the battle, so that we can get in the game, so that we can run the race, so that we can be on the mission, so that we can enjoy what Jesus has made possible, so that we can be at peace in the presence of God. Colossians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is Paul pointing us to 
Where Jesus is right now in heaven with God, interceding and preparing a place for us, set your heart on things above. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. If you're an underliner in your Bible or a highlighter, that's a great phrase to underline. For you died. You are dead to this world. You are dead to sin. It is no longer your master. If you have believed in Christ Jesus, you are born again to hope. That is this. You are now enslaved to righteousness, not enslaved to sin. And if sin has convinced you that it has a grip on you that's impossible to break, it's lying. It's absolutely lying. For you died. You're not the same person anymore in Christ. Being a Christian is not about being on a membership list. Being a Christian is not about a once a week habit. Being a Christian isn't about praying before meals. Being a Christian isn't one that you, you own one or two or seven different Bibles at your house. Being a Christian is one that I've gone from death to life. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that. When, the, when it says it's hidden, that's, it's protected. Isn't that beautiful? Makes me think of Romans 8. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Is that good news for anybody? Nothing external, height, depth, Angels, principalities, powers, nothing external. And then you, you can't separate yourself from the love of God. Boy, that's good news. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. Anybody else? For your life is now hidden with God in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life? <laughs> I love that. You died. Now what's your, tell me what your life is. Your life is Christ. He is your life. He's your life. He's flowing through you, coursing through you, bearing fruit. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, you're going to appear also with him. That's the promise of the resurrection that's coming our way. You'll appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, such as sexual immorality, impurity, Lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So when Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, he gives us a list of examples. This is not the total list. So you don't need to kind of look on here and go, oh, wait a minute. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Okay, envy's not on there. Cool, I can still envy. Mm, gossip's not there. Okay, great, I'm good. No, this is a, a, a list that's representative. This is not sort of the exclusive list. But the covering phrase here, the all-inclusive phrase here is, Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. If you're curious about some of those words, sexual immorality is basically this. Any sexual activity with somebody you're not married to. Any sexual activity with somebody you're not married to is sexual immorality. Impurity. This is the, the stain and the twisting and the corruption in your mind of understanding sexuality and marriage and all those things and objectification of, of the body. All that, that comes from sexual immorality. Lust. Lust covers not only sexual things where you desire what you should not desire, but it also creeps into other areas like gluttony where we don't find satisfaction and contentment. We want more than we should want. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. This is scheming. This has the, the connotations of revenge built up into it. This is that person at work who said something bad about you, and now you're just rooting for their computer to die. This is when you're scheming to cut them off from the sale. This is when you're trying to tear somebody else down. 
This even creeps, though, into the area of when you're dabbling in dark things that you shouldn't be messing with. And greed, which is idolatry. Paul just cuts it clear. Let me tell you about greed. It's idolatry. That's worshiping empty things. It's worshiping stuff of earth. It's, it's worshiping stuff that's temporary. It's setting up things as objects to be worshiped. What gets your time? What gets your treasure? What gets your affection? What gets your thoughts? What gets your energy? What gets your, what gets your devotion? That's greed and idolatry. And Paul says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And, and I love how in all in this passage this morning, friends, we're going to hear death to life, old and new. Look what he says here in this verse. You used to walk in these ways, verse 7, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. This is Paul saying, don't, don't live like that anymore. That's not who you are anymore because you died. And Christ is your life now. You've put off the old self and you've put on the new so live in the image of your creator. Be Christ-like men. Be Christ-like women. And with your body and with your mind and with your resources and with your time, glorify God and act like Jesus as best you can. Honor him with your body. Honor him with your words. Honor him with your phone and iPad and computer. Honor him. Because you're a new person. Verse 11, for here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And this is that idea, this is for everybody. This isn't just for the Jews, it isn't for the Gentiles or the new converts. This is for everybody. In verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, man, that feels great. God has chosen us. He loves us on purpose. God loves you on purpose. As God's chosen people, holy, set apart, dedicated for a special purpose, and dearly loved. Don't let the enemy lie to you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the cleanness of Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of Christ. You are dearly loved. When God looks at you, if you're a Christian, God does not see filth and inconsistency and disappointment. When God looks at you, he sees his child whom he loves. You're dearly loved. God is a good parent. He's a perfect parent. And perfect parents often discipline kids who act like brats. True? So the love of God is not soft. It's not all kittens and rainbows. The love of God has loving discipline in it as well. But never doubt. No matter what you do. No matter where you wander, no matter how long it's been since you've been at church, no matter how long it's been since you've cracked the Bible, no longer how long it's been since you've prayed, you are dearly loved by your Father in heaven, just as you are. A perfect father never writes off his kids. And God has not written you off. Holy and dearly loved. You see what I'm talking about in Colossians? There's so much. We could spend a year here, but relax, we won't. Clothe yourselves. So put all 12 together. Therefore, in light of all those things, the old and new, 
the death to life, the look, you need to set your mind here, set your heart here, you need to put to death these things, and you need to get rid yourself of these things in light of that. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other if any of you has a grievance against someone. Well, we want that to be the truth of our new church, don't we? We want us to bear, let forbear, be patient with each other, give everybody a lot of grace. And let's forgive each other where there's a need to be forgiven. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to give you five things this morning out of this text that are effective in breaking the cycle of sinful indulgence. Five things that can help you get in the battle, experience joy, and not drown under the weight of the sin in your life. Number one, the scripture says, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Young people, you're not aware of this. You might be if you go to a museum someday, but in the old days, there were these radios that you had to dial in the station. There was a little round thing, and we called it a knob. And you had to dial in the station, and there were like moments when you're like, oh, I'm almost there, a little static. Oh, okay, oh, there it is. You had, to, you had to set it in a different place. You didn't just scroll what you wanted. You had to dial it in, and this is Paul saying, I want you to dial your heart in. I want you to set your heart on things above In the morning when you get up, friends, set your heart on things above. As he said here, where Christ is, in I want you to think on Christ. I want you to set your affection on him like a remote control, like a dial. Set your heart on Christ. Love Jesus and love all the promises of heaven. Set your heart on things above where where Christ is in heaven. What are all the promises of heaven? Kick back on that for a second. What are all the promises of heaven? No more sin. sin. Hallelujah. No, no, this is play a long time. You're right on board. This is great. No more, what else? No more death. Hallelujah. No more suffering. What else? No more tears. Oh, man. This isn't all there is. And I'm not going to be shackled to this weak and inconsistent, sin-corrupted body forever. Hallelujah. So I'm going to set my heart on things above today. And so my heart, my passions, my emotions, my affections are going to rise to Christ. And in the morning, I'm going to set my heart on the promises of heaven That's where I'm headed, and that's who I am. And I want to love Jesus more than I love anyone or anything else. You want to defeat sin in your life? Put Christ first in your life. How elementary does that sound, but it makes a world of difference. If you wake up every day and set your heart on things above you will sin less than you did the day before. Second thing here in the text, in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. Friends, the battle for sin is very often won or lost in the mind. That's that negotiation we see going on. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Satan came to the first man and the first woman and he said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat? You know, did did God really say that? Like, wow, I don't know. What did God really say? Oh, there's negotiations going on. It's in the mind. What's true? What's accurate? accurate? What's right So set your mind, so back to the remote control, back to the dial, set your mind in the morning on what's true. I want to live this Monday in light of what's true. I want to set my mind on things above. 
that means I'm probably not going to set my mind on the app that usually leads me to questionable topics that usually lead me into sin. I'm going to set my mind to dwell on other things. So if you set your mind like that, you will sin less than you did the day before. If you will set your mind on the truth. Let me give you an example of this. I, I, I gave the illustration last week um, that we can, a lot of us can relate to of the, of the Oreos, double stuffed Oreos. None of those thin mint Oreos. Those are fake. Those are pretenders. Those are part of the fall and the corruption of the world. The real kale, too, yeah, that, yeah. But double-stuffed Oreos, we talked about, you know, it's not that you just say, I'm not going to eat sugar anymore. It's just that, you, that kind of, kind of re- religion act will, will not do anything to change it. And you're trying to govern this idea of, well, well, what's too many? One Oreo, two Oreos, seven Oreos, two columns of Oreos in the box. We're not going to tell you what all those things are. But here's where you win it in the mind. You win it in the mind when you decide uh, the issue for me today in the bag of Oreos isn't this. It isn't how many Oreos. It's what's my view of food. When you set your mind on things above, you have this thought. Okay, food is for two things. It is for fuel. And food is for delight. I believe with all my heart, God made things that taste good. Good food, good drink. God made those to delight our hearts. It's for fuel and it's for delight. But when do we move from delight to lust where we want more than we should want? It's fuel. I I need fuel today, but I'm eating for like a week's worth of fuel every day. Set your mind. If you want to defeat gluttony, then change your mindset about what food is for. Now take that into every realm of sin you struggle with. What's true? If you struggle with lust, what's sexuality all about? And what parameters has God put on it? Set your mind. If you set your mind in the morning on what's true you will sin less than you did the day before. Because when the temptation comes, you'll be, "Uh uh-uh, nope, that's a lie. No, thank you, I'm not buying. Remember, Christian friends, to be tempted is not the same as sinning. To be tempted is not bad. It's losing the negotiation is where we cross over into ungodliness. And we're not perfect. And you're going to have days where you sin. But friends, go down swinging. Clinging to the truth. But you won't be in the battle if you don't get up in the morning. In your particular areas of sin, and you know what they are. Isn't it beautiful right now? I don't have to name them. You are, the Holy Spirit's already talking to you right now about your individual struggles. What's the truth in those areas? Set your mind on things above and you can break that cycle. Number three, Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your old self. In verse five, put to death whatever belongs to your old self. That is a, that's an extreme phrase. Not like make it behave, kill it. That's, that's got an edge. Kill it. Well, it'll be fine. I can just let it live and it'll behave itself. It'll, it'll just stay in the background. It'll just stay small. No, it won't. Kill it. If you don't kill it, 
It's going to grow. It's going to hang around. It's going to cost you. It could wreck you. And given time and indulgence, it could drown you. And it will certainly pull you out of the mission. Kill it. When Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your old self, what he's really saying to us is that we need to deal with the root of the problem, not just the triggers of the problem. I gave the illustration last Sunday about a person who struggles with lust, and they say, I I struggle with lust, I go to the beach, and there's all these girls in bikinis, and so I'm never going to the beach again. All they did was deal with the trigger. They did not deal with the lust in their heart. I go to the beach, I see the girls in bikinis, that triggers the lust that's in my heart. So, So I'm never going to the beach again. That's a religious act that has no power to restrain sensual indulgence. So I need to to not deal with just the trigger. I need to deal with the lust. I need to be able to go to the beach and not sin. How do I deal with the root? I kill it in my heart. I kill it. When you deal with the root, it becomes final. Kill it. Some of the sins in our lives are difficult. I had a group of guys I used to run around with when I was in high school. We were actually all called to the ministry, and we were mischievous. Let's just call it that. Uh, We were usually busy on Friday or Saturday nights, goofing around in the town. Uh, We may have been doing things that were legally questionable, um, but just sort of church questionable, you know, kind of thing. And um, we, you know, we were all excited. I went to a church that the, the church service was on TV, and I remember we wrapped our pastor's house and just did such a job on his house on a Saturday night that he mentioned us on TV on Sunday morning. We thought that was the, and that was like a bad thing because that just emboldened us. We just kind of went on from there. We were into all kinds of stuff. And every once in a while, we'd go camping. And we'd go off in the woods, and we just had just about this much common sense. And this, and, and we would take our food, and we'd bring all kinds of meat. We're going to grill steaks. We're going to grill some hot dogs. We're going to get some sausage. We're going to do all this stuff. And we would leave our food on the picnic table while we would climb in the tents at night. It's cold when you're camping. And so we, we would climb it. And sure enough, we would hear stuff going on at the picnic table while we were camping, while we were in the tents. Somebody's out there. And the tents closed, and you're like, Some, I don't know what this is. I don't know. What are we going to do? And one of the guys got, I got a knife. I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? That's a giant knife. That's a near machete. Put it down. We're in the middle of nowhere. So we peek out the tent. And there's like four raccoons on top of the picnic table. And all of a sudden, like now it's on. Like, oh, we're coming for you, raccoons. You think you're clever. You got your little mask, burglar mask on. And. You know, you're all cute and you're working your little hands on our sausages, but like, right, we're coming for you. And so we began to scheme and the five or six of us in this big tent, we're like, well, we could try this, we could do this. We got an igloo cooler, one of those styrofoam igloo coolers, and we propped it up with a stick and we put some sausage underneath the, the cooler and then we thought, we'll trap it. And so we, we kind of got there and then we got back in the tent, we're giggling, <laughs> we're going to catch a raccoon. raccoon. None of us thought about what are we going to do when we catch it. Pretty soon we hear commotion, go out. (laughs) The cooler is still perfectly propped up and the sausage is gone. We get back in the tent, we shine the flashlight out and all these little eyes coming out of the woods. So you have to get clever. All right, what are we going to do? We we thought, all right, we're going to suspend Chris's big knife on a string and create a little pulley. And when the sausage is taken the knife will drop on Mr. Raccoon. I'm going to get him. And you can pretty much guess, the knife never moved. Food just kept disappearing and disappearing. And somewhere in the bushes, raccoons were just laughing. They were telling their friends all about us. They had seen that years ago, and, and they had been briefed on those things, and they knew how to deal with it. I tell that story because, look, if you're going to try to catch a raccoon, you've you got you to think about it. 
And some of the sin that's in your world right now, if you're going to put it to death, you're going to have to get creative. Not just, Lord, I'm done with that sin. I don't want to do it anymore. No, you're going to have to get strategic. You're going to have to create a battle plan to not just capture, but to kill that sin. You're going to have to go all out because some of the sins, you got to sneak up on them. Some of the sins, you got to go all out. And when they bring a knife, you've got to bring a, a, a nuclear missile. You ha- some of these, you got to make a plan. So my challenge to you, dear friends, is that if you're going to honor the word of God and you're going to put to death, therefore, what belongs to your old self, what's your battle plan? Because it's not going to go down easy, is it? But you got to put it to death. You got to you got to bury it. You ever thought about burying your sin? Have you ever thought about this idea that you have got this sin in your life? Maybe it's just envy, and you've always envied other people, and you've been mad at them for their success, and you feel like God loves them more than He loves you, and God's just made you miserable your whole life because you've been envying all these other people, and you're never content, you're never happy, you're ungrateful, you're not thankful, you're not thinking of all the blessings that God has given you. Envy has just been eating your lunch. Have you ever thought about that there could be this in your life through the power of Christ, there's a headstone, and it says on there, envy. Here, envy's gone, and, and I used to struggle with that, but not anymore. It's dead. You can bury it. I was in Starbucks this week, and I was looking up on my computer, um, what are the burial laws in Tennessee? If you're going to bury something, and I, said, I got lost down this rabbit hole through Google of all these kind of things about green burials and home burials and all this kind of stuff like this. And, and by the way, if you, in case you're wondering, I've discovered that the old got to be six foot deep. That's only in New Mexico. Um, and New Jersey has said four feet deep. But everywhere else, it's just 18 to 30 inches. It's not very deep. <laughs> and you got to let people know if you're going to do this, but you could have a burial at your home. By the way, I was curious if people near me were looking at my screen by the things I was looking up uh, at that point at the coffee shop, probably praying hard for me. Should we report this guy? How to bury someone in your yard? But my hope for you as a shepherd is that you would put some sins to death. And you'd be able to look me or somebody or your spouse or yourself in the eye and just say, yep, I used to struggle with that. Can you imagine that phrase? Yep, I used to struggle with that. But I put it to death. I killed it. Look at some of these headstones today that I just created for us. Here lies greed. You led me to worship empty things buried, 2019. How about the next one? Here lies envy. You made me so miserable. Good riddance. (laughs) Buried. I want you to have this vision of things put to death. I mean, you you can say that's the spot. That's the year. 2019 is the year that I honored the word of God and I didn't just play with it. I didn't just toy with it. I didn't just hide it or cover it or try to make it behave. I killed it in the power of Christ. Here lies lust. (laughs) You turn something beautiful into something dirty. I wonder if this is anyone's story. Buried 2015. It came out 2016. Kept getting up 2017. 2018. 2019. I think there's one more. Here lies lying. You told me I had to hide. Some of you struggle with a sin where you have a casual relationship with the truth and you exaggerate because you feel like you have to to make other people like you or to think you're worth anything or you lie and don't tell your parents or your friends or your spouse the truth because you don't believe you're loved enough just as you are. 
sin's lying to you and telling you you have to hide. Let this be the year you put it to death. Number four, the fourth thing that's in the text that says rid yourself of inappropriate, ungodly things. Rid yourself. The best image for us here is this. If you went to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor said, um, we found something and it's cancer. And the doctor said, let us know if you want to do anything about it. Wait, what? What do, you, what do you mean let, mean, let you know? I, get it out. To, to, can, you, can we do it right now? I have some time. Can we do it right now? If you leave that in your body, it will eat you up and you know it. The C word is awful. It's terrible. I hate it. And I can't wait till we get to heaven and there's no more cancer. Can't wait. But if I'm diagnosed with cancer, I'm like, get it out today, tomorrow, next week, when you're available. I need Get it out as soon as possible. I do not want this left in me because it will eat me up from the inside. Rid yourself of those ungodly things that Paul mentions. Rid yourself if you set your heart on things above, if you set your mind on things above, if you put to death some of these things that belong to your old self, if you will rid yourself and cut out as it doesn't belong in your life, if you will do this, you will sin less than you did the day before. Then lastly, number five, the last thing is clothe yourself with Christ-like qualities of the new self. Clothe yourself with the Christ-like qualities of the new self. That's what Paul describes. It's, you're old, you're new, this is who you are. We, you need to clothe yourself with all of those things that are reflecting Christ in the new self. Study those things and grow in those things. Don't just hope they creep into your world by accident. As you look at that passage, verse 12, he says, close yourself with compassion if compassion is one of those things that needs to be put on in your life, like a shirt, a coat, a jacket, whatever, then study it. How can I be more compassionate? How can I act more like Jesus in compassion? What do I need to do today? I'm talking to, to this guy right here, Jacob, right now, and just kind of got, for some reason, we ended up talking to each other. I didn't plan to talk on Jacob, but I'm thinking in my mind, how can I be compassionate? What's going on in Jacob's world right now as he's telling me about his day, telling me about his week? How, I want to be compassionate. What could I say to him that would just be compassionate? I want to start acting more like Jesus. Clothe yourself means it's not going to happen by accident. You're going to have to make a plan for it and cultivate it. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Ouch, that's personal for me. Bear with each other, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. I've given you these five things this morning. And our hope in these is not that you try harder. Our hope in these is this. I'm not the same person I was anymore. Hallelujah. I'm no longer dead. I'm alive in Christ. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I'm not in the grip of sin any longer. Jesus died and paid for that. And he has set me free. Hallelujah. And I want to live in that freedom. And the enemy's lying to me. And the enemy's telling me and convincing me that I need these things in my world. And these things are taking me out of the mission. They're taking me out of the joy. They're lying to me that I'm not welcome in God's presence. They're causing me to think less of myself than who I am. And they're causing me to give my time and treasure and affection and energy and passion to things that don't matter. The things that are perversions of what God set up as beautiful and right and good. And I'm done with it. I'm tired of that cycle of shame. So, God gives you hope this morning. 
Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. Put to death the things that belong to your earthly old self. Rid yourself of those ungodly things. Cut them out. And clothe yourself with Christ-like character. Several years ago, um, we had a traumatic experience in our family. We were living in Texas, middle of the night, and you have those moments when you're just dead to sleep and you're, you're hearing something, but you think you're hearing something, and you're not sure if it's a dream or real. You guys ever have those experiences? You're like, am I, am I hearing that? And what I'm hearing in the middle of the night is my wife yelling at somebody. And I'm thinking, it's been hours since our kids went to bed. They were little at this time. They were younger at that time. And I'm, I'm there's not my kids, and my wife wouldn't yell like that at, at our, our kids. And what, what in the world's going on? So in a staggering stupor of full sleep to wake, I'm getting up, and I walk in our living room, and there's a man in our living room who had broken into our home in the middle of the night. It was this intruder. And my wife is screaming at him. I think she's a little disoriented. It's traumatic. It's overwhelming. What's, what are you doing here? All this kind of stuff. And everything in me just went into Papa Bear mode. And I rose up as tall as I could raise up and I just bellowed at this guy, get out of our house. And I started moving toward him as big as I could. And I had no idea what I would do if I got to him or if it would come to that. But here in the middle of the night while our kids slept in their bedrooms, while we slept, somebody crept into our house and was stealing our stuff. We backed him out of the front door of our house, closed it, and locked it, and called the police. Massively traumatic for our kids, for me, for Stacy, to have this intruder in our home. I'm not even sure if I've told Stacy this before, but the police officer told me about two weeks later after they had arrested this guy and put him in jail that the guy told him, the intruder told him, yeah, I had a knife with me. I could have cut those people while they slept. The police officer told me that. And I was like, oh, thanks for that. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. Lovely. Thanks for that detail. The call of God on your life this morning is that you would stop going halfway after the sin that is dragging you down and drowning you. That you would stop going halfway after the sin that is eating your lunch. But that you would say, Christ is my life now. That's an intruder. And it wants to steal from me. And it wants to hurt me. And you think you've got it under control. You think you're covering your tracks. You think you're getting away with it. And it is like a raccoon in the bushes just going, <laughs> that person has no chance against me. I'm not asking you to raise up and bow up in your own strength. I'm asking you to stand tall in the power of the resurrected Christ. And that you would call on his power and believe that you can put those sins to death and kill them. And you can point to in a testimony, in a small group, in a class, in a church, over a coffee shop moment, someday where you can say, yeah, I used to struggle with that. But in 2019, in the power of Jesus, I put that to death. I got other struggles. But let me tell you about the graveyard, my soul. I get that headstone and that headstone. I, no, don't, 
appreciate me. I didn't, I didn't kill any of these. I'm weak. As a matter of fact, I loved each of these. I love them. Get the intruder out at all costs before it drowns you. Before it steals you blind. Before it robs all your joy. Oh God, I thank you for the promise that is ours in Christ Jesus that we are free from bondage to sin. For many of us, Lord, we've lived so long dabbling and covering and hiding and believing that we've got it under control. I pray, oh Lord, that you would give courage and strength to your children. I pray that you would show them how to put things to death, how to rid themselves of those things. And Lord, as they come into your presence each morning to set their hearts and minds on you, I pray that they would taste and see that you are good. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just speak to God about particular sins that he's calling on you right now to put to death in 2019? And would you ask him for help? Confess your weakness. Confess that you love those things. Ask him to do what you feel so incapable of doing. Oh Lord, set your sons and daughters free. Expose the lies of the enemies. Give them confidence in your truth. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would grow them up to maturity and set them free from these sins. Not so that they could be good boys and good girls, but so that they could live free and enjoy and savor all that you've made possible for us. We thank you for Jesus who has taken the wrath for us. We thank you for Jesus who has conquered sin and death and hell and the grave. We thank you for Jesus who is in us, our hope of glory. And we pray in his name this morning, the beautiful name of Jesus.